How's everybody doing? Good? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, well, I hope you're all doing well. Um, as always, it's always super, super great to see you guys here. Um, super great to, to be with you guys. Um, this is the second, second Sunday in a row that you're, you're seeing me up here, uh, which I'm excited about. Um, just kind of in the, in the saddle uh, again this morning, uh, which I'm, I'm excited for. Um, but uh, whether you're, uh, whether this is your first time here with us this morning or, or whether you've been coming here for years, um, we're just glad that every single one of you uh, is here today. Um, it's part of this community in this place. Um, yeah, I'm just so glad uh, that you're here. Uh, if you don't know already, uh, my name is Trevor, and I'm one of the staff members here with H. Joe Church Cincinnati, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be bringing the word to you uh, here this morning. Uh, and here at H. Joe on Sunday mornings, uh, we've been making our way through the biblical book of Genesis, um, and we'll be continuing our journey through the book of Genesis here this morning. Uh, and we're specifically, specifically going to be looking at Genesis chapter 11 this morning, okay? Uh, and in Genesis chapter 11, to give you a little bit of a, a, little bit of a preview, um, we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel, right? So this might be a story you, like maybe you heard, uh, heard about in Sunday school one day or, or just have heard just like, you know, through the grapevine or something. Uh, but that's, what, that's the, the story we're going to be looking at um, together uh, this morning. And really, like, uh, even just to give you a sneak peek, sneak peek of this, uh, something, something we're going to see today, like all throughout Genesis 11, is just the destructiveness of pride, Okay. Like this, this, this theme, this thread of pride uh, just so grips uh, Genesis chapter 11, uh, and we're going to see it all over the, all over the place. Uh, and, and we're even going to see, you know, just as God's word says, like James 4, 6, right? That God, God opposes the proud, but shows favor and grace to the humble. Like we're even going to see that on display, right? Uh, so I have some stuff, uh, some good stuff prepared for you this morning, uh, and I'm excited to bring the word to you. Uh, but before we actually get into that, I want us to all go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, just really welcoming his presence here um, and just asking him to move in power in, in all of our lives and all of our hearts this morning. So please bow your heads in prayer with me. God, we just thank you that you are such a good God. God, you're such an awesome God. God, we, we just stand in awe of you, Lord. God, your word says, God, God, where two or three are gathered, God, there you are with them. So, God, we just, we're, we're confident, God, we know that you are here with us, God, and we thank you for being here with us. God, thank you for dwelling with us. And God, thank you that even when we are, when we are by ourselves, God, you are still there with us as well. God, God, this morning, it's all about you. God, our lives, this creation, everything, God, it is all about you. And God, thank you for giving yourself to us giving your son for us. God, we just pray. God, that you just pour out your spirit in just a fresh way this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just move powerfully in all of our hearts, in all of our minds, in all of our souls, in all of our lives this morning. God, I pray that my words would be your words, God. God, just fill me with your spirit. Fill everyone here with your spirit, Lord. And Lord, you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um... So to start, I want to do a quick review uh, of Genesis so far, and, and we're not going to go through every chapter, but I just want to kind of hit on some of the big events that have been happening in Genesis so far, uh, just to kind of make sure we're all up to speed uh, with what's been happening, okay? Um, so right off the bat, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, God created all things and set, thing, set all things in motion, right? And everything was good, perfectly good, the way it was supposed to be. 
In Genesis chapter 3, however, the first man and the first woman were deceived by the devil into turning their backs on God and sinning against God for the first time. And the sin and the rebellion of the first man and the first woman fractured the personal relationship that humankind was designed and created to have with mankind. And our world entered into this fallen and broken state that we're still experiencing today. Thankfully, um, many years after that, Jesus would come, right? And he would bring us back into relationship with God. But it was in Genesis chapter 3 that humankind fell into sin. As humankind multiplied on the earth and spread across the earth, the amount of sin and wickedness in humans multiplied and spread throughout the earth as well. And the amount of sin and evil and wickedness on the earth got to a point where it was so extreme and so intense and so prolific that God sent a great flood on the earth as an act of divine judgment, punishment, and purification. The great flood made an absolute end of all, pretty much the entire human race, except for Noah and his family who were saved on the ark. That happened in uh, Genesis chapter 7. By Genesis chapter 9, the waters of the great flood had dried up from the earth, and Noah and his family came out of the ark. And when they came out of the ark, God initiated and established a covenant with Noah and with all of humanity, which was the first of his major covenants that he established with humankind. And in this specific covenant, the Noahic covenant, God promised that he would never again destroy all life on the earth by the waters of a flood. And he gave the rainbow as a sign of that covenant. So that's kind of gives you, gives you just kind of like an overview of what's been happening in, in Genesis so far. Um, but there's one more detail that I want to point out that's really important to the text we're going to be looking at today. Right? And it comes from Genesis chapter 9. It's actually the first verse of Genesis chapter 9. So in addition to initiating and establishing the Noahic covenant in, in Genesis 9, God commanded Noah and his family to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Because right? God eliminated everybody else, right? It was just Noah and his family, right? So they were tasked with repopulating the earth, and they were tasked with filling the earth. This is a very important detail for the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning. So, with all that said, we're going to go ahead and dive into Genesis chapter 11. Um, and it's about 10 verses, 10 verses that our main passage is going to be this morning. Um, so starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 11, God's Word says this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. All right, so these 10 verses right here, this is, this is the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at, that we're going to be breaking down together this morning. Uh, and there's a couple things that you, you need to know just right off the bat uh, so you can accurately understand what's happening in, like, in these verses. The first thing I want you to know is that a decent chunk of time has passed since Genesis 9. Okay? Quite, quite a bit of time has passed here. Uh, the, way, the way that we know this is that we see that there's now a large group of people on the earth. Right? But when Noah, when Noah and his family uh, came out of the ark, um, you, you'll have to fact check me on this. It was, it was like, I think maybe seven, something like that. Um, but now in Genesis 11, there's, there's, a, there's quite a large group of people now. 
okay? Um, and the reason why time had passed is, like, you need time to repopulate, right? Noah's not like, son, daughter, son, daughter, right? Like, that's not happening, right? You need time to repopulate. So some, some, some time has passed here because there's a large group of people on the earth right now. Um, and throughout Genesis 11, like, we even see, like, these phrases kind of, like, uh, implying that there is a large group of people, right? Like, right off the bat, it says, uh, the whole world, right? Don't think that's the phrase they would use if it was, like, like Noah and his immediate family. Oh, the whole world. Yeah, you guys, right? No. Right? Like, there, there's a large group of people on the earth now, right? So a decent chunk, chunk of time has passed here. The next thing I want you to know is that when you see or come across the word heavens, plural, in the scriptures, this is not talking about the kingdom of heaven. Right? When you see the word heavens, plural, in the scriptures, this is not talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is actually talking about the sky. When the scriptures talk about the kingdom of heaven, you'll see it just singular and probably capitalized too. It'll just say heaven. Maybe not capitalized, maybe, maybe, maybe just depending on your translation, uh, but it will be singular. So this is an important detail to, to see even in this Genesis 11 passage, that when you see heavens, it's just talking about the sky, okay? So when the people in Genesis 11 say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, they aren't talking about somehow gaining access to the kingdom of heaven and like, like having their skyscraper like enter into it some way. That's not what they're saying. Actually, what they're saying here, they're saying, let's build our, let's build our tower so tall that it just like stretches into the sky, Right. So that's just an important detail for you to, uh, for you to know and for you to see um, in this. Um, and as I said before, um, th- those details will just help you to kind of further understand uh, what, what's happening in this passage. Uh, but going a bit deeper now, I want to start breaking this passage down to really pull out things that we can, we can learn from this passage, like for our lives, like for the modern day. And the first thing I want to share with you is this. Partial obedience is not true obedience. Okay? Partial obedience is not true obedience. As I mentioned earlier in Genesis chapter 9, after the great flood, God commanded Noah and all of humanity to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. From the detail I shared with you just a little bit ago about how there was like a, a large group of people, like this shows us, um, you, guys didn't, you guys okay? You good? All right. Just care about you guys. Um, all is good. Um, okay, let's start over. Um, bring, bring us back. Here we go. All right. Um, we're just going to start right, right over from the beginning, right? All right. Here we go. As I mentioned earlier, okay, in Genesis chapter 9, after the great flood, um, God gave Noah and, and uh, his family and all of humanity th- this command right here in Genesis 9, to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, okay? Um, and from the detail I shared with you about how there's a large group now, guess what? They obeyed. They did it, right? Like, there was no other option. It was Noah and his family or it wasn't going to happen, right? And now there's a large group, so they obeyed. Like, good job. Like, Noah and his family. Well done. Um, and then at the beginning of verse 2 in Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says, As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. Uh, and from this we see, like, that these people were actually initially obedient to God's command to fill the earth. Right? Like, they were initially obedient. That's, it comes right out. It says, oh, okay, they're, they're moving eastward. They come upon this plain of Shinar. Like, they're obeying God. They're, they're filling the earth. But when we look at the rest of Genesis chapter 11, 
we see that it would just end up being partial obedience on their part. Right? Because with, with, their, with their own will, kind of with their own plan, they, they would never make it past the plane of Shinar. But because of God, they did. Right? So these people started to fill the earth, but, but their obedience stopped as their feet stopped. Okay? They started to congregate together and build the Tower of Babel. And I don't want you to think that the people in Genesis 11 were just stopping in the plain of Shinar to take some rest or to just catch their breath. The people in Genesis 11 stopped in the plain of Shinar and they planned to stay there. And I'll show you how I know that. Looking at the entirety of verse 2 of Genesis chapter 11, it says, As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And when we go and we look at the original Hebrew word there for settled, it means to stay or to remain. Okay? See, even, even the exact word is talking about, like, they weren't going anywhere. They found this place, and that's where they were going to be. That's where they were going to stay. So this is our first clue uh, that these people in Genesis 11 planned to stay put. And here, already, we're starting to kind of see this pride come out, right? Because they're starting to think, oh, like, yeah, God told us to fill the earth, but, you know, I like Shinar. Right? So they're just staying there. Okay, so you're seeing this pride come out. In addition to that, in verse 3 of Genesis 11, when the people said, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly, this implies that they were making fire-baked bricks to build the Tower of Babel with. Right? You see, at this time, there are actually two different ways to make bricks. Okay? The first way was with the sun. And to make, to make these, these sun-baked bricks, you, you'd, you'd get the clay and you'd, you'd form it into like your, your brick shape or, or whatever. Uh, and then you would just leave it outside in the sun. And that sucker would just bake there, like naturally, right? Um, and it would, just, it would just be there. And at, at the end of that time, that brick, that's just what you got, right? And, and you'd use it, right? So that's, that's how you did like sun-baked bricks. But there's another way. It was, it was fire-baked, Okay, so in, in the same way with, with the sun-baked bricks, you would take the clay, you would form it into a brick, and then once you did that, rather than just putting it outside and just letting nature like, take, take its course, you would take that brick and you would either put it into fire or next to fire, and it would very quickly and very effectively give you that hard and strong brick that you were looking for. Okay? And when, they, when these people say in verse 3 that, like, let's, let's go and let's bake them thoroughly, like, they're not, they're not controlling the sun, right? Like, this comment of theirs, what they're talking about is, is they're going and they're making fire-baked bricks. And here's why it's important to our passage. Fire-baked bricks were a lot stronger and a lot more durable than sun-baked bricks, which means that the structures that were built with fire-baked bricks were much stronger and they lasted much longer than the sun-baked bricks. And we see that this is something they were doing with intentionality. They wanted to make the Tower of Babel permanent. Right. They were building it, and it was going to stay. They were trying to make it very strong, very permanent. So from this, this sheds light now that they're not, they are not accidentally disobeying God. They know they're disobeying God. Right. They know they're staying put. And again, we see this, this pride coming out. And the final way that we see in Genesis 11 uh, that they're planning to stay put is just what they say in verse 4. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a, with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Right? So it comes out right here. 
Like, they're, they're, this is not what they want to happen. Right? This is not the kind of language you're using if, if, you, if, you, want to, if you want to scatter. Right? Like, like they, they have no intention of scattering. And, and more than that, they're actually trying to prevent that from happening. Right? They, they are trying to resist that from happening. Right. So again, we just see so much pride coming out um, in these people. Um, so again, kind of tying this back, back together. And even though these people started out obeying God by moving eastward, their obedience stopped. And they were only partially obedient. And partial obedience is not true obedience. And this is a big deal to God because obedience is a big deal to God. In chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. In chapter 5 of the book of Deuteronomy, God's word says, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you, so you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. And in chapter 5 of the book of 1 John, God's word says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So all, and, and these are just three examples of many that we see it's like obedience is such a big deal to God. So this truth that partial obedience is not true obedience is a big deal to God. And with that said, I want to ask you this morning, are there any ways that you are just being partially obedient in your life? Whether it's something that you start to obey God in and then you just stop, or whether it's something that you just kind of, you just kind of obey God in and that's it. Are there any ways that you are just being partially obedient to God in your life? Are you someone who will hear a sermon about loving others with agape love and serving others and honoring others? And you'll do a great job with that for a week or two. But after that week or two, you'll slide back into your old ways of, of bitterness and judgment and distancing. Or if it's repentance, are you someone who, 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 who's repented from some sins in your life, but there's still some other sins that you're holding on to that you don't want to give up yet? Or when it comes to like God's active, like positive commands, these things like, like love others and make disciples and share the gospel, like these very like kind of outgoing, active commands that, that God has given to us. Are, are you someone who like will obey and kind of pay attention to some of those, but then like avoid and ignore some of the others because they're, they're too hard or too challenging? Right. Or, or maybe it's something else. But I just want to leave you with this question today. Is there any way in your life that you're just only being partially obedient instead of fully obedient to God. Because our God is worthy of full obedience. As you think about that, as you hear that, if you're feeling convicted by this truth, I want you to remember that our God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness. Our God is not a God of shame or defeat or anxiety. And conviction is not condemnation. If you're feeling that conviction like on your heart, or on your soul, that is not condemnation. That's just God calling you higher, calling you deeper with him. It's not something to be, run, to be like run away from. It's not something to be avoided. It's something to be embraced because God's just taking you higher, taking you deeper. And remember, such a God of grace and mercy. And if there are areas of your life where you've just been partially obedient, God has that grace for you, but you can't stay there. Right? God's grace is meant to be an empowering thing forgives you, and it just empowers you out of that, right? Um, and I just encourage you in that today as well. 
moving on from that, um, to set up the next point uh, that I want to share, uh, share with you from Genesis 11, um, I want to show you more about how the people in Genesis chapter 11 tried so hard. They, they tried, like, guys, they tried ridiculously hard to make their tower immovable, indestructible, and permanent. Um, we've already talked about the fact that they're making these fire-baked bricks. Not even, that even starts to show us that, that they were trying to make it very strong and very permanent. Um, and there's actually another detail in how they constructed the Tower of Babel uh, that I want to point out to you uh, that shows this as well. Shows, shows how they were trying to make it immovable, indestructible, and permanent. And this details in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 11, where the text says that they used tar for mortar. Right? And if you're not familiar with what mortar is, mortar is, is the stuff that they put in between bricks to kind of hold them together, glue them together. Um, there you go. Um, this stuff. Uh, I've never used it, but I know what it is. Um, but like, it's, it's the stuff like you glue the, the bricks together with. Okay? And this passage uh, says that, that they use tar for mortar, tar to, to hold these uh, bricks together. Um, and what, what's interesting, I, I saw this, and, and, and when, I, when I'm like studying scripture just on my own or, or when I'm about, about to preach, uh, I love to go and, and look at specific words in scripture, see what the original ancient Hebrew or, or the original uh, Koine Greek word is. And I did that with this word, like tar. Really? Tar? Okay, yeah. Um, well, what I found is tar is actually just a general term that they used. Uh, we actually have this specific, we actually know this specific substance that they used uh, on the Tower of Babel. Uh, and it was a substance called bitumen. Uh, I'm just curious. I didn't know what that was. Does anyone know what bitumen is? No? Okay. I didn't, I didn't know if I was the, in, in the dark there, but I guess not. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's this substance called bitumen. Okay? And bitumen was something that was very, very strong, very sticky, and very waterproof. Okay? These are kind of like the, the three trademark characteristics of bitumen. It's very strong, it's very sticky, and it's very waterproof. Right? So this is continuing to communicate just how strong they're trying to make the Tower of Babel. Right? Just, how, just how secure they're trying to make um, the Tower of Babel. But you know, one of, the, one of these characteristics honestly really stuck out to me when I was doing this study. And it's that bitumen is waterproof. Right? Okay, like it's strong, right? It's sticky. It's like, well, you'd probably want to build a building with something that's strong and sticky. Yeah. But it's, okay, waterproof. And here's why it sticks out to me so much. Bible scholars and historians are pretty confident that the plain of Shinar is in the southern, the southern part of modern-day Iraq in the Middle East. And if you don't know much about Iraq, the terrain of Iraq is a desert. Like, a desert desert. Like, think of, like, camel and dirt and, like, sand. Desert. Okay? I'm telling you, like, desert. And guess what it doesn't do in the desert? It doesn't rain. Right? Like, the, like that's why it's a desert. It does not rain. Right? Like, if it rained, it wouldn't be a desert. It'd be a rainforest or something. I don't know. Right? Um... And I was curious, so I went to this encyclopedia, it's uh, uh, Britannica, I said, okay, what's, what's the yearly, uh, like, average rainfall in Iraq? It's four to seven inches. Not 47, four to seven inches. That is not a lot of rain for a year, 12 months, right? And, and, that, and that's Iraq. So, that brings us back to our question. 
in Genesis 11, why on earth do you care about using a substance that is waterproof in a place it only rains four to seven inches per year? Well, I think it's because they didn't trust God. What happened four, four chapters ago? It actually rained a lot in the plain of Shinar four, four chapters ago. It rained a lot everywhere four chapters ago because this was the coming of the great flood. Right? This divine act of, of, of judgment and purification that God was doing. Right? So yeah, got a lot more than four to seven inches. Right? It says that the, the mountains were covered at that time um, in, in the amount of rain. And I think that they, they used by two men because they didn't trust God. And, and here's the thing. And like I said earlier, in Genesis 9, when, when Noah and his family come out of the ark, what does God do? One of the first things God, God does, he says, Noah, I'm not going to do that again. I'm never going to destroy the world with the waters of a flood again. And here's the rainbow. Proving it to you. Showing it to you. This is the Noahic covenant. The first of the major covenants that God established. But apparently these people didn't trust him. Didn't trust his promises. The thing is, God's been 100% faithful to that promise. And there's actually, um, there's actually uh, speculation that um, the guy who was kind of leading this project, um, his name was Nimrod. Um, and I think it's where we get from, like, the, the title, like, like, Nimrod, whatever. I think, I, think, I think it comes from this guy. Um, but um, there's actually an ancient Jewish, this isn't, this isn't in the Bible, but this is kind of like a very ancient Jewish writing that was actually writing about Nimrod in this time. And he said Nimrod was very, very bitter. Nimrod was always angry. Nimrod had a chip on his shoulder. And you can see there was just so much pride that that Nimrod thought that kind of him, this this mighty Nimrod, could like take on God. So there's so much pride coming out here um, when you see this. And something we see here as well, kind of taking this a a bit further before I move on. What they were doing by, by using the bitumen they were trying to make, make their tower indestructible against the laws of nature, but also against the laws of the supernatural as well. Right. They're saying, okay, the wind, the dust, all that kind of stuff, like our, our, our tower's going to stand, but if God tries to flood again, he's not going to get me. Right. So what they're doing here is they're, like, they're, they're, this is so much dishonor and disrespect to God that's happening here. And this brings me to the next thing I want to share with you from Genesis 11. And it's this, God is so much bigger, so much greater, and so much stronger than man. And he proved it here. God is so much bigger, so much greater, and so much stronger than man. In response to me saying that, you may be thinking, well, yeah, checks out, true, right? Um, but, but don't, let's like breeze past this. I think, I think it's so important for us to remember this truth, especially in our day. That God is so much bigger. God is so much stronger. God is so much greater than man. 
In Genesis 11, the people were doing everything that they possibly could, and they were using everything that they possibly could to resist God, to do their own thing, to disobey God by staying congregated together, to make a name for themselves. And just think, think about this, like what, what they had going for them here. They had the capacity to design and to create because they were made in the image of God. There was a lot of them, so they had strength in numbers. They had hearts that were firmly set on staying put in the plain of Shinar and doing their own thing. They were making and using fire-baked bricks, which were strong and durable. They had bitumen holding their tower together, which made it even more strong and made it waterproof and potentially floodproof. And at the time, they all spoke the same language and used the same words, right? In other words, they had everything going for them, right? Like you name it, they had it. But none of it mattered because God is stronger. God is bigger and God is greater. And even like our one God was victorious over what was, what was quite likely the entire world at this point. One God versus many, many men. And God, and God was victorious here. <clears throat> so even with, with everything they had going for them, all the effort they were putting into resisting God and trying to stay put and trying to make their tower immovable, indestructible, and permanent, right, God sent them packing. Right, they dispersed from the plain of Shinar. And verses 8 and 9 in Genesis 11 like, make this clear. They, they didn't just like, come upon this by their own initiative. Like, they, they knew that this was the case. I'm going to share another reason why God chose to scatter the people later in this sermon, uh, but I want to share one reason with you now. Um, when we look at verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 11, we see that God in his sovereign wisdom and insight and discernment saw that the people's sin and rebellion and pride, that it was just going to continue. It was just going to keep snowballing, right? And it was going to snowball to this, pl- this point where it was going to get just so broken, so, so severe, so intense. Of course, not, not, not to the point where God couldn't do anything about it, but to the point that the world was going to start suffering consequences big time. So here in Genesis 11, what God is doing in his wisdom and in his grace is he's doing something about it. He's stopping them right here. Because right? in verses 6 and 7, he, he says if they, if they stay together, nothing will be impossible for them. Right, they're just going to do all this stuff. So God is putting an end to it right here. God did something about it. Um, God cannot and will not be overpowered, outmatched, or unwillingly dethroned. Um, and I say un- unwillingly here um, because like Jesus, right, he, he willingly dethroned himself. Right? Th- this God who cannot be dethroned, dethroned himself for us to come and save us and redeem us. And this truth that God is so much bigger, so much greater, and so much stronger than man is all over the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 1, 25, God's word says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now we know that God is not foolish, but even if he was, his foolishness would still be smarter than our, than our greatest intel- intelligence or wisdom. And we know that God is not weak, but even if he was, his weakness would still be stronger than the greatest human, human strength. And because God is not foolish and because God is not weak, these gaps are even bigger. Psalm 2 is another great example of this. Psalm 2, 1 through 12. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. 
I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. So, so much being communicated here. God's victory, God's power, God's sovereignty. And this is your God. This is your father. This is your king. And this is your shepherd. And that is awesome. So much bigger, so much stronger, so much greater then and now. The next thing I have to share with you uh, from Genesis 11 this morning um, is actually a practical challenge for all of us, um, for all of you and for me. It's a lifelong challenge and it's a very, very important challenge. This is it. Don't be a glory thief. Simply put, don't be a glory thief. As the name suggests, a glory thief is someone who attempts to steal glory from the one who should have all the glory, namely God. And being a glory thief is bathed in these sins of pride and selfishness. And the story of the Tower of Babel is a story about glory thieves who were rebuked and corrected by God. That's what, that's what we're looking at in Genesis 11. I'm going to say that again. The story of Babel is a story about glory thieves that were rebuked and corrected by God. A little while ago, we talked about the fact that the people in Genesis 11 were building the Tower of Babel to try and prevent the scattering of them. Right? They were trying so hard to congregate. But this wasn't the only reason they were building the tower. Another reason they were building it is that they were seeking to bring glory, honor, adoration, and fame to themselves. That was the primary reason. In verse 4 of Genesis 11, the people said to each other, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. It seems like the otherwise part is almost like an afterthought. That, that them making a name for themselves, that was the focus. And then this is kind of the, the secondary thing. And just as this verse says, they tried to make a name for themselves. They tried to bring the glory, honor, adoration, and fame to themselves. They're being glory thieves. And as I mentioned before, the person that they were stealing the glory from was God. Because all of the glory belongs to God. All of it. To God alone be all the glory. That's a beautiful statement. To God alone be all the glory. To one being, God, be 100% of the glory together. To God alone be all of the glory. And here in Genesis 11, they're coming. They're trying to steal God's glory. They're trying to bring that percentage down. And God wasn't happy about that. God wasn't happy that they were attempting to steal glory from him for themselves. And we can see that God wasn't happy about it because he did something about it, because he stepped in. God went to them at the Tower of Babel and he put an end to their glory thievery by supernaturally and sovereignly confusing their language and scattering them across the earth. And because God did this, construction of the Tower of Babel came to an immediate screeching stop. And all their plans and all their efforts were immediately thwarted in this as well. 
And it was thousands of years ago that all that happened at the Tower of Babel, but there are many people who are continuing to live their lives as glory thieves today in the 21st century. To this very day, billionaires and groups of people are building fancy buildings, fancy towers, fancy hotels, and fancy mansions in the nicest parts of the world to bring glory, honor, fame, and adoration to themselves. And even though they can't afford to build the fancy buildings and the fancy towers and the fancy mansions, average people like you and like me are still living their lives as glory thieves as well. Hungry for attention. Hungry for praise. Hungry for the laugh. Just trying to live as, as glory thieves. Trying to get the glory, the focus, the adoration on themselves. So this is why I challenge you today. Don't be a glory thief. I challenge you to not live your life in a way where you're seeking to try to bring glory, honor, adoration, and fame to yourself. But that you're living your life in a way where God alone gets all the glory. God alone gets all the honor. God alone gets all the credit for everything. Because from him, through him, for him are all things. It's Romans eleven thirty six. 36. Right? It's true. I don't have it on the screen. That's just coming out. From him, through him, for him, all things. Second half of that verse, to him be the glory forever. Amen. It's so true. So by what you do or what you don't do, by what you say or what you don't say, even by what your motives are behind the things that you do or say, right? Because it's so important. The scriptures talk so much about motive, right? That, that person A and person B can do the exact same thing and one can be honoring to God and one can even be sinful against God because these two people have two different motives, right? Motive is so important and God sees it. Hebrews 4.13, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Right? He sure saw him at the Tower of Babel. Right? They weren't going to hide from him behind some big stone. I got you. Nope. Right? Motives. How you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you focus on as you go through life, and everything. Not being a glory thief. And I want to compare this to King David. Okay? I want to compare this to King David who is the man after God's own heart. And sure, he had his flaws. He had his shortcomings. But I want you to see this. First Chronicles chapter 29, he says this. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Like, what a contrast, right? Yours, Lord. And then Psalm 115, like, this is beautiful. Psalm 115, the very first verse. He said, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and your faithfulness. Amen. Holy cow. Not to us. Not to me. But God, to you, 100% of it. All of it. This was not being said at the Tower of Babel, I can tell you that. Right? But this is the heart of the Christian. Lord, not to me. Not to us, but Lord, to your name. Right? Even when we gather together like this, not H2O's name, not Trev's name, not Grant's name, not John's name, not anybody's name, 
but Jesus. God, Yahweh. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Mm. This stuff about glory thieves. Um, I want to give you three antidotes, three solutions um, that will help you to not be a glory thief. Okay? If this is something that you, that, that you struggle with, being a glory thief, wanting that attention, wanting that credit, wanting that glory, wanting that praise, this is going to help you a lot. If this is something you don't struggle with, this is going to help you stay secure in that, where you're at. Okay? Number one, pray and ask God to help you to give all glory, all honor, and all credit to him in your life. You don't have to do this on your own. Go to God. Pray. Ask him. The Bible tells us, tells us that if we go to God in prayer and we ask him anything according to his will, that he hears us and we have what we asked of him. And I can tell you with certainty, like, if you go to God and be like, God, help me to give you all the glory. He's not going to be like, why would I do that? Right? Like, he's going to be so excited about that. And he will help you so much. So go to him. Pray. Ask him to help you. Number two, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So when your eyes are fixed on Jesus and who he is and his heart and what he has done, you will clearly see that he is so worthy and so deserving of all the glory and the honor and the adoration that you could ever give him. Fix your eyes on him. When your eyes are fixed on him, you'll see that like, he deserves it all and he's worthy of it all. This is by far the thing I've, I've found myself to be the most, the most helpful for my life. It's keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. That changes everything. Number three, this is huge. Remember the name and the position that God has given to you. Remember the name and the position that God has given to you. The sadly ironic thing in Genesis chapter 11 is that the people who were trying to make a name for themselves already had a name. This comes all the way back to Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve. The serpent comes to them. Take this fruit, whatever, whatever it was. You will be like God. They were already image bearers of God. They were already like God. Right? Same thing here in Genesis 11. They were trying to make a name for themselves when they already had it. When they already had a higher name than they would have even been able to achieve on their own. Like them, God has already given us a name and a position in Christ. He's actually given us several names, and they're all awesome. Here's just a few of them. Child of God, ambassador of Christ, new creation, citizen of heaven, dearly beloved, his treasured possession, image bearer of God. If you're a Christian, these are all yours. You just got to own it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, like, level up to it. Like, it's yours. You just got to own it. You got to accept it. And when it comes to your position, we talk about identity, but man, what about our position in Christ? This is literally just Ephesians 2. I was preparing this, I was like, Ephesians 2, got it. Didn't even look anywhere else. This is one chapter. I don't even know how many chapters are in the Bible. There's a lot. Here's one. Right? Ephesians 2, 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God raised us up and put us where? With him? Well, where is, where is he? He's on the throne, right? Holy cow, right? And then Ephesians 2, 19. 
talks about how we become members of his household, right? Like, like we're not just like standing out on the sidewalk, just like waving to God through the, the front window, right? Like we're in there, we're on the couch, we're eating these potato chips, man. You know, like we're, we're in there. That's the position that we have in, in Christ. Like God wants you. He loves spending time with you. Like this is your identity and this is your position. This is your name. And guys, like what's so cool about this as well, this isn't going to be on the screen. Um, this is eternal. Right? For, First Peter 1, 24 through 25. Like, like, like when it comes to like worldly, like a worldly name or like a worldly position or like a worldly glory, hear this. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Man, the glory of man, flowers of the field. Doesn't take much, Right? guess what, like, the, the name and the position that we're already experiencing, you will eternally experience, right? And that is amazing. So, remember the name, rest in the name, rejoice in the name and the position that you already have in God. Because when you rest in that, when you rejoice in that, you, there won't be any need to go try and make a name for yourself, right? When you really get a hold of that, right? Remember that. So pray and ask God to help you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And remember the name and the position that God has already given to you. Um, this will all help you so much to not be a glory thief, um, but to give, give glory to the one who deserves it. Um, in, in addition to that uh, as well, um, we should be people who, who like, actively give God our glory. Or actively give God glory and honor and adoration that he's worthy of. Right? The last thing I want to do, I just want to give you some ways that you can glorify God in your life. Number one, worship God through song. Whether it's here on Sunday mornings or in your life group or on your own with Spotify or something, worship God through song. Next, worship God through prayer. Music's cool. Music is such a blessing to us from God, but your worship isn't limited to times where there's music. Worship God through prayer by reflecting on him, what he's done, who he is, adoring him, thanking him, praising him in your prayers. It's so fun to do that. Glorify God by obeying him. As we talked about earlier, obedience is a big deal to God. So obeying him is such a great way to glorify him and love him. Next, point to him and give credit to him. Whether it's for a new day, or the skills, or the giftings, or the, or the strengths that he's given you, or what he's doing in you or through you, point to him and give credit to him. Um, you, you'll often hear me talk about, like when I'm preaching or teaching, I talk about like God's kindness, how God has been kind to me. Um, what you're seeing, that, that is me giving credit to him, right? And, and not just like a facade, but, but, but the truth there. Point to him and give credit to him. Next, image God well. Right? Image God well. If you are a, hum, a human, you are an image bearer of God. God designed you that way and created you that way. And some people image God well, other people don't image God well. But you can glorify him well by imaging him well. Um, and again, whether someone is a Christian or not, they are an image bearer of God. But as Christians, we know who God is and we know what God is like. So we should be on the forefront showing the world who God is, right? Because there's image bearers out there like imaging him who don't have any idea who he is, 
We know who he is. So let's image him well. And this is, and guys, like, when you think about, like, his command to fill the earth, this is why. His command to fill the earth is about his glory. Because when, when man, humankind goes and fills the earth, his glory fills the earth. Right? As we display his glory. Next, rule creation well. One of the ways that we carry the image of God and operate in the image of God is that we are little rulers on this planet. When God created the first man and the first woman, he told them to, to, to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground and, and to subdue it. So you can glorify God so much by ruling well with love and honor and respect and care and consideration. Live on God's paths of righteousness, goodness, obedience, and purity. This is another way to glorify God well. Next, acknowledge, enjoy, and thank God for his good gifts to us. Enjoying things is a way you can glorify God. I think some Christians struggle with that for some reason. I don't, I don't know. I, I've been there too. Like you can glorify God by enjoying things. Good food, good drink, a beautiful creation, friendship, community, family, marriage, science, modern technology, modern medicine. You can glorify these things by acknowledging him, enjoying it, and thanking him for it. Glorify him by sharing the gospel with others and making disciples. Glorify Him by doing good, honest, and faithful work, whether it be vocationally in your job or academically or both. And in everything, glorify God. And that's the catch-all, in everything. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether we're doing something as small and as mundane as, as eating food or drinking something, or it's all the way up to the big thing, the most important thing, glorify God in that. And that's all, all I have for you on Genesis chapter 11 this morning in the story of the Tower of Babel. There's three main points. Partial obedience is not true obedience. God is so much bigger, so much greater, and so much stronger than man. And don't be a glory thief. And that's what I leave you with today. Let's pray. God, you are so worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our hearts, of our lives, of our souls, of all that we are. God, to you alone be all the glory. God, it's our joy, it's our, it's our delight to do that. To glorify you, God, with all that we are. God, thank you, God, for revealing your glory to us, Lord, in creation, in your Son, Christ Jesus, in your Word, in so many other places, Lord. God, thank you for revealing your glory to us. We love it. We love your glory, Lord. God, we want to glorify you. We want to exalt you. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we would just leave this place different. Lord, we would not be glory thieves. Instead, God, we would just be glorifying you in all things. God, we would have so much confidence and security in you. God, your strength, your power, your magnitude. And God, we would, just, we would just love you, honor you, worship you, exalt you. God, with everything that we are. God, including our obedience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.